guys. So, John chapter 12. If you turn there in your Bibles, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And I had mentioned to the first service um, the Cuthbertsons, who have been a part of this church for a long time, um, their youngest daughter, Myra, her and her boyfriend, now fiance, they're uh, officially engaged. And so we rejoice with them. Um, it's been a long trial, you know, and um, the Lord is so faithful. And I think that we need to remember this because sometimes, you know, when you're in the middle of something, you think, is it ever going to get better? And, and it does, you know, as long as we continue to hold on to the Lord and trust in him. Anyway, so I need to, uh, I, I feel like I'm doing this all the time now. It's like a, 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 a warning before I get started. Um, I am, you know, I, I mentioned last week, probably the week before, but I, I am just dealing with this vertigo thing. And it's something that's not new to me. I've had it for the majority of my life. In fact, years ago, um, you know, I thought, boy, why am I so dizzy all the time? And went in, had an MRI. About the time I got home, they called me back and said, we need another MRI. And so went back in and uh, they found that I had a cyst on my brain. And um, at the time they thought, well, maybe that's what's causing the dizziness. You know, it's from an accident that I had as a young child and it had just grown over time. And uh, I was talking to someone last week, and I said, I was so hopeful, you know, I went into brain surgery, of all things, you know, my first surgery was brain surgery. I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, I was actually scheduled to teach at another church, like the Sunday after the brain surgery. I, and I officiated my son's wedding and everything, and, but I was, I was out of it for a few months, you know. Anyway. Um, I was so hopeful that the cyst was causing the, the vertigo. And <laughs> as I was coming out of, you know, the anesthesia of the surgery, two things happened. I got vertigo, and I grabbed my jaw, and I went, oh, I got a cavity. <laughs> so, so anyway, I have vertigo. So if I seem a bit off... You know, or boy, his eyes just don't look right, or something like that, or or there he goes. You know, it's uh, there's a reason behind it. Anyway, Father, help us, and I pray that you would help me, Lord. I pray for clarity of mind. I pray, Father, that the things that we see in your Scripture, as we read them, as we study them today, that you would please teach us from your Word. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Verse 27, picking up where we left off last week, Jesus, of course, is speaking here, and he says, My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him, had spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of the world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up, will draw all, uh, lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying what death he would die. The people answered, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Guys, as we make our way through the Gospel of John, and aren't you thankful for the Gospels? You know, the writers have enabled us, in a sense, to walk with Jesus, you know, as we're reading the accounts, and they, they vary a bit. Of course, John's gospel account varies quite a bit from the other three. Uh, it doesn't take away. It just really adds to things that the others did not touch on. 
but we're able to kind of walk with Jesus. We weren't there physically, but through the Gospels, by the Spirit of God teaching us, we're able to kind of walk with Jesus through these things. And as we've been walking through the Gospel of John, as we saw a few weeks ago now, the beginning of chapter 12, Jesus, he's anointed uh, by Mary of Bethany in uh, preparing his body really for burial. She had no idea that she was doing this. I think she was just doing it because she loved the Lord. She wanted to thank the Lord for raising her brother from the dead. I mean, whatever was motivating Mary as she's doing it, she finds out when criticized for what she's doing by Judas that she was doing these very things in uh, preparation for the burial of Jesus. And then, of course, we saw as we continued to read on the triumphal entry, Jesus making that very public, uh, uh, you know, almost like a parade, you know, into Jerusalem, uh, declaring himself really to be their, their long-awaited king. And then we saw last week, we, we looked at the fact that there were some Greeks, certain Greeks had come, they came to the feast, the feast of Passover, uh, their question to Philip was, sir, we wish to see Jesus. That should be all of our desires, sir. We wish to see Jesus. And of course, Jesus answered uh, uh, the question, you know, if these fellows could come and meet with him in kind of an obscure way. In verse 24, he says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And we look at this and we say, Lord, what are you doing? You know, why can't you just give a straight answer? And I'll tell you, if we're paying attention, and this is why we need to be diligent students of the Bible. I don't know how you could be a student of the Bible if you're not in the Bible, if you're not reading the Bible, if you're not truly studying the Bible, you know. Sometimes when we talk about studying the Bibles, it seems like it's something odd, something different than, than studying any other topic. How would we study any other topic? Uh, we would go to the textbook, right? And we have our book, we have our living Bible that we could go to, we could read, we could study. As we study, as we read scripture upon scripture, our faith is built because faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. But as we study the scriptures, we see that many times Jesus would do this. Of course, the apostles did this in their epistles. They would set a foundation. Jesus, in verse 24 of John chapter 12, he set a foundation. And then he kind of moves on. You say, well, where is he going, you know? And then we get to our text today. And he begins to build upon that foundation that he laid a while back. And that foundation, the building upon that foundation is, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Lord, you gave this illustration of a grain of wheat falling to the ground and dying. What does that have to do with anything? He was saying, in essence, to these Greeks, these God-fearing Greeks who wanted to see him, wanted to meet with him, as we looked at that last week, it wasn't they just wanted to physically see him with their eyes, uh, but they wanted to sit down, they wanted to perceive, they wanted to understand him. This would take time. Jesus, in essence, was saying, no, not never. Jesus was saying, no, not now. Jesus was saying, listen, there'll be plenty of fruit. In fact, Isaiah speaks of, about the fact that Jesus, after his crucifixion, would see, if you will, the fruit of his labor. And he would rejoice in that. And so as Jesus begins to build upon that foundation, speaking of what was coming. Now I'm going to come back to this in a moment. But I want you to note at the very beginning of our text, we see Jesus saying, now my soul is troubled. My soul is troubled. The word troubled, it means to stir or to agitate. Uh, this is familiar to us as Bible students, because we see this kind of language um, from Jesus uh, when he was in the garden. Remember when they had left the upper room, they had gone out. Of course, we're not even at the upper room here in John's gospel yet, but in the gospel of the other gospels, synoptic gospels, 
Jesus had left the upper room. They went out to the garden, familiar place where Jesus would pray. And we're told that um, Jesus said to his disciples, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. And then he says, stay here and watch with me. I mean, you kind of sense this, this desperation, you know. Stay with me. Some of us might be troubled by this. Well, this is Jesus. This is God in the flesh. What's going on here? It's interesting to note that that word sorrowful, it literally means grieved all around. Intense sadness. Um, oh, have you been there? If you haven't, you probably will. It's just part of life. Sadness. Sometimes it's so intense, it's so heavy. You know, the scripture tells us that Jesus is not removed from our weaknesses, from the things that we deal with, the things that we're tempted by, uh, you know. Uh, he's very much aware of what we go through, and he's sympathetic about what we go through. Yesterday, of course, we had the memorial service for Carrie and just a beautiful time, you know. I think for me at memorial services nowadays, because we have the technology, is the videos, the pictures, uh, the music. I, I always like the music. I'm always interested in the music that people put behind the, 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 um, the, the pictures. I, I think that that's very creative to me. Uh, I, I kind of, in, I don't know, maybe I'm weird, but I felt like the music kind of fit with a particular time in her life. I thought it was very well done. But, you know, you go to a memorial service and, and, and they're in the front row, you know, you've got mom and dad. And, and, and mom and dad, well, they're, they're dealing with this loss, uh, in a sense, in a... In a a real way, there's intense sadness. Now, mom and dad know Jesus, and so they glorified Jesus, and they talked about their hope in Jesus. In fact, Mike, when he was sharing at one point, he says, if it seems odd to you, I don't know if I'll remember his words precisely, but it went something like this. If it's, it might seem odd to you that I'm exalting Carrie's Lord more than I'm exalting Carrie. And that's how she would have it. And I said, praise the Lord. The perspective from a man who believes in Jesus is quite different from the perspective of someone that really doesn't have faith in the Lord at all. But you have mom and dad. You have, you have the daughters. Of course, their grieving is intense. It's, it's different. This is mom to us. This is... This is uh, you know, so hard to deal with. And, and of course, you had her brother. I, my heart really went out to your uncle because, you know, he needs that comfort from the Lord. And we're praying for that. And then the rest of the family, you know, death is hard. Jesus, he's, he's showing us something. John's showing us something in this gospel. He's showing us that Jesus in his humanity, in his incarnation, though he was God, God in the flesh. I mean, isn't that apparent from John's gospel thus far? We opened with that. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word is God. I mean, it, it speaks of his deity right away. But we see his humanity in this sorrow, in this troubled soul that he was experiencing. Why was he troubled? Because Jesus knew what was coming. He... He tried to tell the disciples what was coming, you know, the cross, but of course they just could not comprehend it. It was just too hard for them to understand this. How could this possibly be? But I think that Jesus was anticipating maybe even more than the agonies of the cross. He was anticipating the spiritual agonies of separation, of bearing the sin of the world. I mean, how, we, can't, we can't even wrap our minds around that. We have no concept of that whatsoever because we are we're sinners. He's without sin. So to take on our sin, oh, how horrible. And we know that when he hung up on the cross, what did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? First time in his eternal existence, 
of ever being separated from the union, the fellowship of the Father. Jesus, knowing what was coming, anticipating what was coming, he says that my soul is troubled. And then in verse 27, he says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Now, guys, this hour, this is something we're familiar with as studying through the Gospel of John because John, well, he's the one who tells us. That's the other Gospel writers don't really emphasize this. But in John's Gospel account, six times up to this point, we've read Jesus making the statement, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. But Jesus is marching forward knowing that one day his hour would come. You know, again, you think of our life. I, I think of, uh, we don't know what's going to happen in a moment from now. We have no idea. We have no concept whatsoever. And, and yet Jesus, you know, he knew what he was marching toward. The shadow of the cross that, <laughs> that, that shed its, its, or cast its, its shadow over his life, his incarnation, was finally coming to fulfillment, Jesus was going to the cross. And so what does he say? No, for this very hour I've come, for this very purpose I've come. And then we see this response from the Father. Then a voice came from heaven. Do you know, guys, this is the third time that God the Father spoke audibly concerning the ministry of Jesus Christ. This time, of course, and the other two times were at his baptism, when Jesus came out of the water, the Father spoke, according to Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 3, and then the transfiguration, when Jesus was transfigured back to his glory, and they're looking at Jesus, those three, Peter, James, and John, the Father spoke, that confirming voice of the Father. Jesus says, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, I don't need the voice confirming that what I'm doing is right. I don't need the voice to comfort me. The voice is for you. And it's interesting to see how the people respond. The people hear the voice, but some say it's thunder. Others say, I think an angel was speaking to him. I couldn't help but think, you know, when I read that, that it's kind of like the word of God. You know, the voice was spoken. For those who had a measure of faith, it probably just confirmed their faith. It fanned their faith into, into a flame. But for those who had no faith at all, it was just noise. And that's how the word of God is. I remember, you know, I've been walking with the Lord for 45 years, but I remember what it was like when I did not know the Lord. And I'd go to church, I'd go to a Bible study or something like that. You know, my wife, she prayed so fervently for me the first year of marriage because she wanted me to be saved. And we would go to Bible studies, and I didn't even know the Lord. And I remember, for the most part, it was just words. It was just words. I remember that first year of marriage when we were going to a Bible study, home Bible study, in a little bungalow, little house in Santa Barbara. And there were just a handful of us in there. And I remember how the Lord was speaking to me. At the time, I had no knowledge of him speaking to me through his word. It was like he was speaking to me through the people that were gathered there. I mean, I was just kind of looking at the people and trying to figure out, is this genuine? Are these guys real? You know, is this... Are they faking it type of thing? And I was just watching the people. And I'll tell you, it was only a few times of going to that Bible study. And I, and I, I remember we were leaving and we were standing on the front porch. And I, I said to the fellow and his wife, I said, I, I don't know what happened tonight, but I, I, I felt something. I felt something. You know, that, that's pretty wide open. And the fellow got a big smile on his face, and he said, that's the Holy Spirit. I had never even heard of the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is drawing you. He's wooing you. 
but I wanted to come back to see what the Holy Spirit might have for me. It wasn't until many, many months later when we moved to Northern California that I actually came to faith in Christ. But those were seeds that were planted along with the many, many, many seeds that were planted during the Jesus movement of people that would approach me and, and share the gospel with me. I, you know, I, I am so... Oh, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to the Lord. He pursued me. <laughs> well, as a young man, I was into so many weird things. All the isms, you know, Krishna and, and uh, Buddha and transcendental meditation and all these things and and you know when you're when you're kind of into that stuff the devil kind of fans that stuff into a flame one time i went to the rose bowl parade in uh, pasadena california and i would come across all the different cults you know the krishna all the different guys you know and they just like gravitate to me it was like there was a magnet that I had, and they would just gravitate. I woke up the next morning, I had been intoxicated the night before, and I woke up the next morning, and I was lying in my mummy uh, sleeping bag, and the Krishnas had come, and they had laid on my chest all of these flowers. Kind of like when Gandhi died or something like that, they, all these, and I, and I just, I remember brushing all these flowers off of my chest, and I thought, man, and, and back then it was like, you know, wow, I'm connecting with all these things. And I'll tell you, once I came to Christ, it was like the Lord was saying, I've been pursuing you. The enemy was pursuing you and all these different things. If you're here today and you think, oh, you've got some mystic connection with something, man, stop looking at the other things. Look to Jesus. Jesus is the answer. He is the, he is the only answer. And I'm so thankful that he was relentless when he pursued me. Anyway, Jesus said, this voice was not for my sake, but for your sake. And, and again, as I was trying to say, and I get off on these tangents, but I was thinking of the word of God, you know. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, but the natural man, that is the man, the woman who hasn't received Christ. Because when we receive Christ, we have the spirit of God that comes and dwells within us. So the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. See, he speaks of an impossibility, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. This is a supernatural work of God. When God touches our life, well, Jesus talks about Satan being cast out and then and then we get back to what I suggested is the building upon that foundation in verse 32 and I if I am lifted up from the earth would draw all peoples to myself this he said signifying what kind of death he would die that lifted up it really the Greek really has it has it has two um, meanings one speaks of a literal elevation, so it would speak of him physically being lifted up, crucified, you know, nailed to that cross, but it also carries with it the idea of exaltation, being raised in rank and honor. And so Jesus, you talk about being on mission, Jesus had a mission, the mission was as a Lamb of God who died for the sins of the world. And, and, he, and, 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 and in his flesh, in his incarnation, he's saying, I, I, I'm troubled, I'm, I'm agitated, I, I, I'm grief, I've got grief all around, I'm, I'm in intense sadness. You know, in other words, I'm not necessarily looking forward to this, but I'm going to be obedient to it nonetheless. And the people said, well, we have heard that the... Uh, from the law that the Christ remains forever. They were puzzled. It, it, this tells us something, guys. 
This tells us that at this point, the people that Jesus was speaking to realized that Jesus was speaking of his death. But they were puzzled because they said, but, but if you're the Messiah, isn't the Messiah supposed to last forever? You know, today, um, there are those who are actively sharing the gospel with Jewish people. You know why? Because we're called to do it. Um, the, the Gentile believer is to promote <laughs> a jealousy in the heart, in the mind of, of, of the Jew. Jesus came. Jesus was a Jew. I don't, where do these white supremacists get, you know, they talk about Jesus. Jesus was a Jew. All of his disciples were Jew, Jewish. He came to Israel, a Jewish nation. Oh, that's in, just, you know, people are arguing that today, aren't they? Even people from pulpits, shame on them. Shame on them. And I mean that wholeheartedly. Shame on them. But Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. But Jesus, God still has a plan for Israel. He still has a heart for Israel. And there are people who are actively going and they're sharing the gospel on the streets of Jerusalem, in cities in Israel, in New York, wherever there's a larger uh, you know, Jewish population, people are actively going out and sharing the gospel. And you know what they're using? <laughs> they're using, they're using, well, they're using their own scripture. They're using Isaiah. They're using Isaiah 53. They're using this, this description of the suffering servant. And many times all they'll have to do is just read through it and, and just ask the question, who do you think Isaiah was speaking of? Have you watched the videos? They're really, I mean, they're the kind of videos that kind of choke you up if you're, if you're into people getting saved. <laughs> I am, you know. And sometimes people, these Jewish people, they'll read the psalm and they'll say, well, it sounds like it's speaking of Jesus. It sounds like this is what, you know, the, the New Testament teaches about Jesus. And from there, they preach Christ. And, you know, you, you, you look at... Uh, These things that we're reading about in the Gospels, they're not coming out of nowhere, you know. There was a foundation laid a long time ago. The foundation was laid, we could say, by the prophets. They spoke of Christ. They spoke of the suffering servant. Now, listen, you, you should be objecting at this moment and say, no, 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 Dan, you have to go back further. Oh, we do. We have to go all the way back to the garden. We have to go all the way back to the fall because Christ was preached there. And if you're paying attention, you might say, no, 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 Dan, we got to go back even further. You say, further than the garden? How can we go back further than the garden? We go back to the end, to the book of Revelation. He is a lamb who was slain before the creation of the earth. See, you, you just... We should be in awe at God's plan, God's purpose for the incarnation. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Now, Jesus goes on and he begins to speak to uh, the people. Look at verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons, and I'll add it, daughters of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. You say, oh, there he goes. Jesus just laid another foundation. So are you going to look ahead and see how he begins to build upon this foundation? In fact, this foundation of light was began early on in John's gospel account. These themes that are running through the scriptures, guys, 
the diligent student of the Bible, you'll appreciate these things and it will build your faith. You know, rather than the person who says, I read the Bible like it's a book you could read through one time and that's enough. Or the person who gets their theology from YouTube rather than, 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 than you studying the scriptures for yourself to see if these things are so. Light. There is light and there is darkness. Now we know this to be true. Uh, spiritually, there is light and there is darkness. The Bible says that once we were children of darkness, we were, we were under the wrath of God. We were deserving of that wrath. Do you, um, I'm not suggesting that we should spend much time dwelling on it, but do you ever think back when you were in darkness? Some of you may say, I, I don't know that I was ever in darkness. Hmm. If that's your outlook, you may not ever have come into the light either <laughs> because the contrast between the light and the darkness is so vast that you know when you've come into the light. I think of, I, boy, I can remember, sometimes I will shudder, I'll just get a thought of something from my past, my life of darkness, and I'll just say, oh, Lord, I'm so ashamed of that. I'm so ashamed that that was a part of who I was. I, I almost don't even recognize that person. Not that I've reached perfection today. If, I, if the Lord tarries and I'm here another 20 years, I'll probably look back to today and say, oh, Lord, you know, what a mess I was. You know, guys, light and darkness. Are you in the light? Are you walking in the light? Are you believing in the light? Are you believing in Jesus? Have you placed your faith in him? Guys, let's read on. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Wow. And then we're told that the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory. Remember, remember um, Isaiah chapter 6. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne. I lifted up. And he spoke to him. You look at this and you say, well, wait a minute. It's not fair. He has blinded their eyes lest they should see, lest they should understand. He's done it to them. It's not fair. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, we read the same quote. And there, the reading is a bit different. And, I, and this was on purpose, you know, that this was written this way. And it says, in them the prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled, which says, hearing you will not hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. Listen, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Hmm. That sheds a different light, doesn't it? Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes, they have closed. Oh, lest they should see with their eyes and, and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Again, the quote is from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. You know what we know? 
as students of the Bible, as we go through <laughs> Isaiah or Jeremiah or the, you know, the, the, the prophets of old, as we go through this, we see Israel, a people who had been blessed with so much, you know, uh, the law came to Israel. It didn't come to America. It didn't come to any other nation. It came to Israel. Uh, the prophets came to Israel. We don't have, you know, the, the, boy, the people who call themselves prophets today and they have a message for the United States of America, it never lines up with what the Word of God says. It's, it's always so self-serving, you know, for us Americans, you know. It's Jewish. It's Hebrew. Jesus came to the lost sheep of Israel. He blessed them. But as the Word teaches, to whom much is given, much is expected. What does the Lord say? He says, um, six days you shall work, on the seventh you shall rest. Why are you doing this to us, God? What, I mean, what a blessing. Oh, then he goes a little further. Six years you shall plant and yield your harvest. On the seventh year you shall rest can't be done what was he saying I want you to trust me he begins small will you trust me for the day oh yes Lord we could trust you for the day will you trust me for the year I don't know that we could trust you for a year could you imagine I mean, we're talking about God. <laughs> we're not talking about, could you, what would you do if your boss came up to you and said, hey, I want you to take the next year off. Don't call in. We'll make sure that your check arrives at the, you know, the first of the month, every month. But I want you to take, do not, please do not call in. Do not pick up a shovel or a pencil or a computer or whatever you do for work, you know. Don't do it. I want you to take the next year off. Because that's what the Lord was saying. But they were saying, we don't work, we don't eat. And he says, you got to trust me. I mean, we see like a foreshadow of this in the wilderness. A two and a half week journey from not even that long. I mean, that's showing grace because they had children and livestock and everything else. You know, they're just, they're coming from Egypt, you know. So a two week journey and the Lord says, okay, we're going to the promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to be so blessed in there. You've got a job to do once you get there, but, but just trust me for this. And it seems like immediately, we're thirsty. Did you bring us out here to kill us? And then water from a rock. I mean, how many times do you see that? We're hungry. The stinking manna. I can't wait to taste manna. <laughs> I, I hope in heaven we get to taste some manna. I mean, the Lord raining down <laughs> food every day. He says, trust me, don't take enough for tomorrow unless it's the Sabbath, you know, but, but you just trust me for the day. We want meat. We want meat. We want meat. <laughs> and they've got meat coming out of their nostrils. And they're complaining, and they're moaning, and they're groaning. And I don't know if Moses was bald when he began, but I think he would be bald after two weeks, <laughs> and surely after 40, 40 years with these complainers. He'd be ripping his hair out, you know. Lord, I can't believe i got to deal with these people. And it all came down to trust, didn't it? Trust me. Trust me. God did not inflict this upon, you know, he doesn't inflict unbelief. But here's the thing about our Lord. Ultimately, God will give us what we want. You might be thinking, I've never heard that before in church. Hold on. For those who push Jesus away, they will not have to endure eternity 
with Jesus. You don't want Jesus? You don't have to have Jesus. Now, there will be a, a time where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, but that's not speaking of salvation. That's speaking of acknowledgement. You'll still have to endure eternity. Oh, boy, this is a hot topic today from many pulpits. Shame on them who talk about when we die, we just cease to exist. What is the purpose of salvation? What is the purpose of the cross? What is the purpose? I mean, you know, when people do these things because they don't want to deal with what the Bible teaches, that hell is a real place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the flame is never extinguished, where the worm never dies. It's a place you don't want to go. It's a place created for the devil and, and his angels. It's not a place that the Lord wants for his people. Yesterday, at the memorial service, you know, the last thing you want to do at something like a memorial service, because, you know, uh, people, they're, their emotions are raw. You don't want to offend anybody. But at the same time, if you have the opportunity, as the family did, and as I sought to do, because the emotions are raw, you present Christ. This is your opportunity. You serve Jesus. And I made this statement, I don't remember if I could remember the exact words, but I said, heaven is not for everyone. Everyone's invited, but heaven's not for everyone. Heaven is a place for those who have placed their faith in Christ. We don't want to place our faith in Christ. It's not going to be forced upon us. We don't want to walk in the light. We're not going to be forced to walk in the light. But for those who look to him, their faces are radiant. For those who look to him in faith and acknowledge, I can't do this on my own, Lord. I think pride, I think the ego, is probably going to be the greatest reason people reject Christ and reject his blessings. Someone said yesterday at Carrie's memorial service, I think it was said a few times, I, I was kind of surprised when I heard it because I thought she was perfect. Now I'm teasing. But people would say she, she wasn't perfect and she knew her frailties and she knew her sin and she knew, and that was shared I think a few times and I think, you know, I, I mean, that's true of every breathing, every person it's true of each one of us. But it's only the person who acknowledges that. Boy, if it's dependent upon me, upon my goodness, upon my righteousness, I'd never get there. I'm out of time, so I'm going to stop. But I, you know, come on up, Marielle, Nehemiah. When... Um, when I had received Christ, my wife and I started to attend a little church that was right near where we lived, and um, a little Bible church. It met at a Christian school. Um, I won't give the name because the church is still around. Little group, maybe 60 people. And um, we loved it. I mean, we just loved it. That was kind of our first, for me, not for Tracy, but that was like my first experience with, you know, Christian people, and I, I really enjoyed it. And I was, you know, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to do whatever it took to please the Lord. So... Um, when I first came in, I had, I had long hair, I had um, a flannel shirt, I had 501 Levi's, 
I had my good pair of work boots and um, came in and and I realized right away that I kind of stood out, you know. I mean, um, uh, and after a few weeks, some of the men came up and they said, you know, Dan, um, now that you're a Christian, you probably should cut your hair. I said, oh, yeah, okay, if I, if I should cut my hair, I'll cut my hair, you know. And, um, you know, you might want to dress a little bit better. I said, okay, what do you suggest? I mean, I remember this conversation, you know. Uh, maybe you could get, like, some slacks. I thought, slacks? I think my dad wears slacks, you know, slacks. And a sports jacket and get a tie and this type of thing. And, and so I did, you know. I, I went out, I cut my hair. I, got, I started looking like them. And then after a little bit of time, they thought my wife, you guys all know my wife. They thought my wife was a little unruly. <laughs> She's the most, she is the most gracious, soft-spoken woman I've ever known in my life. But, you know, you need to get her under submission. I remember that conversation. Babe, you got to get under submission. She hit me with a frying pan, right? In the, no. <laughs> no. But it was just all these hoops. Jump through this, jump through that. Da, 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 da. And I was willing to do it because I thought, if this is what it means to be a Christian, I want to do it. You've heard me tell the story. I remember I'm standing in that church. I've got a suit jacket on and slacks and a tie. My hair is short. I'm looking next to my wife, uh, standing next to my submitted wife. I'm, <laughs> I'm singing from the hymnal. And all of a sudden, it was like I had this out-of-body experience. And it was, who the heck are you? Who are you? You're like unrecognizable. And, and I realized later that none of those things matter. But you know that in modern-day Christianity, I mean, things have changed so much. Look how we are. We're so casual here. But for a long time, man, people wouldn't even go to church because they didn't have the right clothes to wear to church. How horrible that anyone would feel that way. But it was always focused on the, the exterior. As long as everyone looks like they have it together, that's what matters. But what if we don't have it together? What if we're struggling in our marriages? What if we're struggling as a parent? You know, how do I parent my, my, my ch children, my child, you know? What if we're struggling with sin? What if we're struggling and, and yet, but as long as we have that appearance of everything looking together and it's so refreshing when we look at the scriptures and we say you know what the Lord is close to those who are broken and contrite in spirit and when you read the gospels it's like Jesus had so much he had patience beyond measure for the common man. I mean, he was never busting people's chops because of the way they dressed or the way they, they, the way they spoke or the way they, but he was constantly busting the chops of the religious leaders because they were keeping people from God. Remember that? I mean, when you see that, it's so refreshing. You say, what's your point, Dan? My point is this. We have a gospel that is for all people. And as we share the gospel without any strings attached, without any hoops to jump through, encouraging people to believe, to trust in Jesus, that God cleans us up. We may change. We may do things differently. We surely will. You know, we're not going to remain the same. But he cleans us up in his time, in his way. I know I'm rambling here. When I was a teenager, I was invited to a Christian club 
uh, whatever it was, some thing. And I remember going there, and boy, I really felt like I did not fit there in high school, looking the same way I looked when Tracy and I were first married, and, and here were all these jocks and all these athletes, and there's nothing wrong with athletes and, and that type of thing, but I just it just felt like that was the agenda. We are the kids that have it together. I remember the first time we walked into Calvary Chapel, Grass Valley. I said, who's that hippie up at the pulpit? <laughs> well, that's the pastor. Pastor Mark. He didn't own, he didn't own anything that wasn't denim. <laughs> and I remember coming from my pharisaical short Christian upbringing, thinking, what does this man have to bring? And he stood, do you remember, Trace? And he began to teach the word. And I thought, I have never heard the word taught so powerfully in my life. It's not the trappings, it's not this, it's not that. You know, I, I talk about being in Grass Valley, and some of you probably think, you know, because I talk about all the hippies in Grass Valley, and you probably think, oh, that must have been like the late 60s and the 70s. No, it was like the 80s, because there were a lot of hippies. There probably still are. You go to Nevada City today, maybe the yippies have taken over the hippies, but, but it was just kind of that culture, and the gospel was going out to people. And people were responding, and people were being saved. Anyway, I'm done. I wish I wasn't done. I have so many stories to tell. I just glory in what God has done. Father, thank you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would make yourself real to those who are here today. Maybe they're downstairs. Maybe they're here in this room. Maybe they're watching online. But I just pray, Father, that you'd make yourself real. That they wouldn't, you know, put up any, you know, scarecrows to knock down. And this is why I don't believe. And this is why. But that they would just see you, Jesus, we pray. That they'd open up their Bibles and begin to read the Gospels and to see the Jesus of the Bible. Because I know that when they do, they're going to be drawn to you, just as we've been, Lord. We know that you have come to seek and to save the lost. And we pray, Father, that you would please use us to seek and to share the gospel. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Mm -hmm.